you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews, and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest podcast of Unleashing Brilliance. I'm so excited because today I am sitting here having a conversation with the awesomeness that is Michelle Gibbings. Michelle is an expert in helping organizations, teams, and individuals get fit for the future of the work of work. She's the author of Step Up, How to Build Your Influence at Work. And her latest book, which isn't yet on shelf, is called Career Leap, How to Reinvent and liberate your career. Exciting stuff. So Michelle's work lives at the crux of understanding, architecting and leveraging change. She's obsessed with unlocking high impact choices to accelerate meaningful progress and about enabling a new breed of leader, one that is able to thrive in a complex and changing world. She's built a distinguished reputation across the Asia PAC region as a keynote speaker, advisor, facilitator and executive mentor of choice for many leading edge corporates, corporates and global organizations. And with 20 years plus of senior executive experience across a stack of industries, there is no doubt that Michelle uses her ability to work with the flow and pace of change uh, to navigate those uncertain and ambiguous environments to create leadership teams and cultures that are going to thrive into the future. So I think we're in for an interesting chat and conversation. But as always, what intrigues me more than that is unleashing what was it that helped Michelle unleash her brilliance and what she's doing on the planet. So to start, Michelle, give me a whistle-stop journey of your or trip of your journey to here. Where did it all start and how did you get to here? Wow. So I'm a Brisbane girl by birth. I'm the youngest of four and I grew up in a family of learners. So my father was an academic, my mother was a teacher. So it was always instilled in us this whole thing around learning, learning, continuing to learn, um, a love of knowledge. Every Christmas, every birthday, every Easter, we'd get gifts, but we'd always get books. And so I've always loved learning. And, you know, I went through school, did my high school and my university in Brisbane. And then, you know, I got to the end of university and went, I think I need to go somewhere else. And so I kind of packed up and moved to Melbourne. And I had never left home before. So I think my parents were slightly horrified at this whole thought that I'd be moving to Melbourne for my first job. And I hadn't told them I was applying for jobs in Melbourne. And so really the history from there, I spent a lot of time working up and down the East Coast. I spent time in remote communities, working for mining organisations, and I spent time working in Hong Kong and Singapore. And I've always worked, you know, initially in government, then in the corporate sector. And I've done really different jobs. You know, I've done everything from being a company spokesperson to running large-scale change programs to working for the CEO. And I'll often have people say to me, one, your career looks slightly schizophrenic, or two, wow, your career terrifies me. How did you do that? Whereas for me, there was always a common thread. Uh, And the common thread being, for me, a love of learning, but two, I understand people and I know how to work with people to get stuff done. And so I used to say to my team in particular, I don't need to be the subject matter expert in this area. That's not what I'm being hired for, particularly when I got into more senior roles. I'm being hired because I know how to ask questions. I know how to build teams. 
I know how to navigate a complex environment to be able to help people get things done. That functional expertise, I'd always go off and then learn because I'm a nerd and I love learning, (laughs) um, but I didn't need it to actually get the job. So what did you actually want to be when you grew up? What was the thing that was driving you in those early days? Well, apart from wanting to be a member of Charlotte's Angels, <laughs> which was never going to quite work because I wanted to be Kelly and she had brown hair and I had blonde hair. So gonna... oh, no, wait, wait, wait. What was it about Kelly that you loved? Why did you want to be Kelly? Because she was smart and sassy without just being smart. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever wanted to be Sabrina. <laughs> anyway, poor Sabrina. Um, So, yeah, so I wanted to be Kelly, but for me, it was actually I wanted to be a teacher, and I thought I'd either be an English teacher or I'd be a history teacher, and I just, it is, I love learning, I love learning and I love sharing knowledge, so when I left corporate then started what I'm doing now, it's like this perfect um, kind of coalescence of everything that I love doing all in the one spot, it's awesome. So tell us, what are you doing now, what is it about what you do that you love? I love helping people really be the best version of who they are. So I use the tagline, you know, getting people ready for tomorrow, today. So I'm really, the work that I do is all about how do you help people understand themselves so they can understand others and understand the environment they're in so that they can thrive in a world that is constantly changing. And to do that, there's a number of sort of techniques that I use, but so much of it is really focused on the individual, helping people have the skills to be able to understand what it is in themselves that they need to change, to feel like they've got the confidence, the skills, the techniques to be able to then make choices. Because I always say to people in life, you know, you, you can't have it all. Everything in life is a trade-off. And even in organisations, it's a trade-off. You're making a decision to do X means you're making a decision to not do Y. So let's be deliberate about the choices that you're making as opposed to just fall into that pattern of default thinking and kind of going with the flow and going, oh, well, I'm just going to do this because, well, that's what everyone else is doing. Or this is what I just feel comfortable doing. Because if you're always just making a comfortable decision, you're probably not making a good decision. Mm. And so... You had a massive corporate career, successful corporate career, and then something made you take a leap of faith um, to start doing your own thing. What was it that that triggered that? Um, So I had come out of a corporate environment, which had been really intense. And, you know, I'd always been very successful in corporate roles. I had always enjoyed the roles. This last particular experience had not been all that fun. And I went on a meditation retreat and, you know, I was in the process of, you know, working through what my next steps would be and I'm on this meditation retreat and I came home and I said to Craig, I've got to start a business. And Craig being the awesome person he is goes, great, in what? And I said, I've got no idea. And he goes, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And so it really was a leap of faith. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had belief in my ability, but also belief that, you know, I work hard and I've always gone, you know, I don't think I'm the smartest kid in the class, but I'm probably the hardest working. And if I just keep working hard, I'll be able to figure this out. And I listened to myself. And part of the listening to myself through that process of making the decision was, you know, I'd been rung by a couple of headhunters and corporates about other roles and I wasn't getting excited. I was getting this sort of feeling of dread And I thought, wow, this isn't right. You know, in the past, if I'd been rung by these organisations, I would have got that little bit of, you know, nervousness about, oh, wow, is this, you know, can I pull this off? But I would have been excited and I wasn't getting excited. And I thought, yeah, time for me to do something else. I've 
proved I got as high as I wanted to go and now it's a time for me to sit back and go, what do I really want to do? So great place to be. So you had the belief, mm. you were prepared to do the work, um, which is great, but what else was needed? What did you do next? For me, it was planning. Mm. So I did sit down and look through and work out what does this look like? What are my options? Um, we also made some financial decisions because, you know, look, we were lucky in terms of the financial position that we were in, but I knew that for a period of time, my income was going to drop considerably. And so there were things where I sat down with Craig and we worked out what are the fixed expenses, what are the variables, Okay, variables, which ones can we just get rid of for the first year, particularly when I know that my income's not going to be what it was. And I then set in place structure around, okay, cut the income, structure around, okay, if this is what my end goal is, I now need to start building a business plan, I need to start looking at what that's going to be. And also then reaching out to people who have done a similar thing and gone before me to get advice. And I was really lucky. And I still remember one piece of advice from a guy who'd run a number of successful businesses. And it was really good because he said to me, don't be too fixated on what you think you're going to do and what your end goal is. He said, it's too soon in the game for you. He said, be open to the experience and also be open to the experience being that you may go back to corporate. So don't shut all the doors keep all these doors open. As you go through this, you'll figure out which doors you want to close as you go through. And it was great advice because um, one, you know, about a year into running the business, I did get headhunted for a massive role back in corporate. And I went through the process, got down to the top two and then went, oh, I can't do this. This is not the, and I felt awful. And I rang the company and had a conversation with them and they were lovely. And I said, I don't want you to think I've wasted your time because I haven't, this has been really good for me. It might not have been so good for you, so I'm really sorry. Um, but it really helps solidify I've made the right decision. My exiting corporate was not just this sort of fleeting decision that I'm doing what I need to be doing and I'm in the right place. Um, and also, as the years have evolved, I've got more and more niche. And as I've got more niche, I've got clearer about what's the value I offer, who am I in terms of the this person running a business because that's the bit that I probably hadn't realized would shift so much was this sense of identity I hadn't realized how attached I was to my corporate identity and all the kind of trappings that go with it and then you know here I am just now little old Michelle running a business and you know as opposed to being a corporate exec and in that was kind of a year two revelation so every year I've had a new revelation I love that so I'm imagining that that turning down that corporate job as a door closing have you got an example you can share where almost that being in flow of getting curious, of, of being relaxed about how things can change, where a door opened that you didn't expect? Um, it's, it, this will probably sound like a, a curious way to answer. It's sales. So I would say when I first started the business, I never saw myself as a salesperson. And my husband, who works in sales, used to joke, he's Michelle, you've spent your entire life in corporate selling yourself, you know, seriously? But now it felt kind of different, running a business and selling what I was doing. And I found that if I get too fixated on sales, it doesn't happen. But if I just do what I need to do and don't focus on the sales, it happens. And that's why it sounds kind of weird because it's kind of like you do the work, but if you get too fixated on the numbers, too fixated on the process, it doesn't work. And the other piece of advice, you know, you have to 
work out who you listen to. Because I remember someone once saying to me, oh, you know, every meeting you have has to be a sales meeting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, actually, that's not me. That's not how I build relationships. I like people. I like to get to know them. I like people to get to know me. And I build relationships and I'm very generous with the information I share. And if that means I've got to have a couple of meetings with someone and share information, eventually it comes back. And it might be in three years' time. And that's what I've learned. It can be years later that someone will reach out to you and say, hey, can you help me with this? So don't be too fixated on the giving and then trying to get something in return because it just doesn't work like Mm. that. Give and give and give. And then eventually you'll get something in return, but you'll never quite know when that's going to pop up. Mm. So have there been moments, I'm sure they have, everyone I speak to seems to have these moments where they get in the funk, where things don't seem to be working, um, where you're almost banging your head against a brick wall. And can you share an example and then what you did to get out of it? Because I think these these tips and tools that people share, some work, some don't for others, but there's always a little snippet of wisdom that, uh, that we can all learn from each other. Yeah, I had one recently because I've been having a few um, issues with a certain supplier and, you know, it's a really busy time, there's a lot going on and, you know, if someone's going to let you down, they always let you down when a time when you're really, really, really busy. And I'm very good at knowing when I'm stressed. I listen to myself, I understand the signals and for me when I'm like that, I have to verbalise it you know, some people internalize, I'm a verbalizer, I have to verbalize it, I have to get it out. So I'm, you know, I was talking to Craig about how I'm feeling, and then it was shifting the environment. And it, this might sound like a weird thing, because in some respects, you know, if you're really stressed about the work and the deliverables, people will say, just keep doing the work. And actually, no, it was, I stopped work. We took the dog, Barney, for a walk. I sat on the couch with Craig, and we watched a couple of episodes of some trashy TV series that we were watching. And I spent the afternoon with him which was awesome and didn't think about work. And then I got up and I did it the day, the next day. If I had tried to keep working then, I would have got stuff done, but I wouldn't have been as productive and the quality of the work wouldn't have been as good and it would have just continued to stress me out. So for me, it was shift the environment, shift what I was doing, knowing that I could get back into it the next day and be completely refocused on what I needed to focus on. I love that, Michelle. I talk a lot about the fact that the world is really busy and it's almost like we're all on this crazy treadmill of trying to run as fast as we can. And I really do believe that one of the critical skills of leaders of self who then lead others is the ability to stop, Mm. is to just stop, to pause, to regroup. And that's exactly what you're referring to. Do you see that playing out in some of the other work that you do or the clients that you have, that people are just running around too crazy to actually make the right decisions at the right time to move forward. Yeah, and I think as well, they, they it's almost like they're so caught up in the moment. It's helping them step back and look down and then go, okay, step back and then look into it. And what's really going on and what's driving all of this? What of this can you influence? What of this can't you influence? So, And then if you can't influence, accept it or make a decision to then do something completely different. And so I, you know, choice for me is a big thing. You know, people often talk about their big word and my big word is freedom. I need to feel free to be able to make choices. And often people don't realise that they've actually made a choice by either not doing something or letting someone else actually make that decision for them. And when you're feeling out of control, if you don't take control, it's going to feel far worse. So work through... What can I take control of? What can I say no to? What can I delegate? What can I move? 
Um, and how do I give myself some breathing space? And it can be as simple as, like, my, I, I love a bath. And Craig always laughs at me. He goes, you take a long time to prepare the bath and then you're in it for about five minutes. And I said, I know. It's the ritual. It's the process associated with the bath. It's not actually being in the bath that relaxes me. So I only need to be in there for five minutes. And they're like, ah, now I feel great. <laughs> I love that. Um, there's two things I want to ask you on the back of that, Michelle. And I want to start with this concept of what can I say no to. Um, it seems to be one of the hardest things that many people face of saying no, saying no, saying no. What what strategies or advice would you share in terms of how you've overcome that or managed that process? Um, the interesting thing is I would say sometimes saying no at a corporate and in, in when you're running a business is quite different. So if I go back to my corporate days, I was really clear around who I could say no to. And sometimes it's not a no, it's a not now, or if you want me to do that, what do I stop doing? So you're giving them, if it's your boss, the choice as to what gets balanced and prioritised. For me, um, running a business, you know, time, there is just never enough. And when you love what you're do, doing, it's slightly addictive and I could do this all the time. So it's making choices as to what's really important for me at that point in time. So if I look at the second book, which I wrote last year, and we're writing in a really short period of time because I was on a kind of short deadline with the publisher, I had to say no over that period of time. But it was no with a choice, so I was very conscious about what I was doing. And, you know, there are some people who wanted to have dinner with me, and I said, great, really happy to have dinner with you over this period of time, but we need to have dinner at 5.30. And they would go, oh. And I said, because at the moment I'm getting up at 4 a.m. and I'm in bed by 8, 8.30. So a 7 o'clock dinner doesn't work for me, but after I finish this period, if you want to catch up later in the year, more than happy to do it. So I was giving boundaries. I wasn't saying no, although a lot of people did say, I'm not doing dinner at 5.30, Michelle, you've got to be kidding. Um, but it was going, I'm really sorry, but for me at the moment, protecting my energy is really, really important and it has to take priority because of everything that is going on. And if I don't protect my energy, I'm going to fall in a heap. And so that's probably what gives me the power to say no. I'm really clear around what I can do and what I can't do. And so, at, you know, I've had a couple of clients request some work which I've had to say no to because when I looked at my schedule, it was just impossible. I would either end up, you know, not killing myself but be unwell, but I wouldn't be able to deliver for the client. And so I said I'd love to be able to do this, but with everything else that's on, unless you can move your deadline by two, two weeks, I can't do it. You know, I'm booked out for the beginning of the week and that end day, I need it for something else. So I'm really clear about what I stand for in terms of the value and quality that I deliver. And so if I don't think I'm going to be able to deliver that value and quality because of everything else that's going on, I'll say no. Mm, I love that. I love the the conversation you had there about protecting energy. Um, how if you're not looking after yourself, how can you possibly look after others or do your best work for others and in the last prior conversation we we're talking about rituals and the bath ritual I'm interested in what other rituals do you have in your world either daily weekly monthly um, that enable you to to do the work that, mm. that you are doing and to do it to the best of your ability so I do meditate most days although I would put the caveat I find when I travel it's like my little habit routine gets out of whack and so I have to consciously remember oh, I need to meditate because I feel better my relationship with my husband's better everything just works better when I meditate um, Craig and I have rituals in our relationship as well we go away and work 
together for a week every quarter. We'd go to the beach and we work. I'm lucky that my husband also works in a, a flexible environment as well. And we have rituals. You know, we walk the dog every day. We walk the dog every night. Uh, I am, you know, exercise with a personal trainer twice a week. I'm really conscious about the food I eat. And the big thing for me around ritual is bedtime. I am, and I'm makes me sound like a grandma, but I am really religious about when I go to bed and having that structure. So, I, you know, I need eight, eight hours. I always love those people who you meet. They go, oh, I get four hours. And I think, oh, my God, I wouldn't be able to function. I don't know how you do it. Um, and the research will show people need different amounts of sleep and some people need a lot, some people need less, but most people need somewhere between six to eight hours and the average person in the world is not getting enough sleep. And if you don't get enough sleep, you can't function. And I always say to people, if you don't get enough sleep, it's like turning up to work drunk. And I don't know when turning up to work drunk was a good idea. So maybe you get a bit more sleep. Um, so it's things like that. And for me, it's also doing a stock take. And I do reflect a lot around what's working, what's not working. Have I got enough energy for my friends and for my family? Because I think, and you would know this when you run a business, that's the hardest thing. You know, your immediate family, it's easy to find time for them. It's harder to, to find time for other friends. And so I have to schedule that in. And, you know, I schedule it in and I make commitments to people because I know that if I don't schedule it in, it won't happen. Mm, that wonderful balance, isn't it, between doing work that you love, looking after yourself and nurturing those relationships for the soul is incredible. And I love that conversation about sleep because it's it's one of the things that always goes out of my world. And for this year, so I'm recording this in 2018, I am being so disciplined about getting to bed and getting enough sleep. And I feel amazing. It's, oh. it's incredible, the clarity. So uh, yes, we all know this stuff, but it's incredible how many of us let it go. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, um, no, that's really, really good. What's the hardest thing for what you do? What's the hardest thing in your in your world? I think the hardest thing is the switching off because it's so much of who you are. And also there's lots of people who know you that you don't know they know you. So I had a situation recently where we were staying somewhere and I sent an email to the lady after we'd stayed there because it was really lovely and I was saying thank you and also she had these gorgeous little poofs and I think, oh, I love those poofs. I wonder where you got those poofs from. And she came back and said, oh, by the way, my husband subscribes to your weekly newsletter. And I was thinking, wow, okay, excellent. <laughs> so it's, it's, there is that sense you don't know who knows you. And I went to the dry cleaner the other day and he goes, oh, I saw you on TV last week. <laughs> So you've got to take it also not too seriously as well, because I think if you take it all too seriously, then you, you can start having problems. Um, but you've got to find a balance and you need people who can ground you and people who can support you and help you when things don't quite work out. Because roles like this are public. They use an enormous amount of energy. And look, I love what I do, but I give a lot. Um, you know, when I'm facilitating team sessions or doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching, and by the end of the day, I can be exhausted. And I think that's the hardest thing in terms of getting friends who understand that because I'll be going, oh, we want to see you. And I'll get to a weekend and I'll think, I don't need any social interaction because I've had a whole week of it. And I, even though I'm an extrovert, I'll get to a weekend and think, all I want to do is hang out at home with Craig and Barney because I need that recovery time. And so finding that balance between my recovery time, my relationship with Craig, um, 
you know, yes, and you do have a relationship with the dog, with a relationship <laughs> with Barney, um, and also my relationship with my friends, you know, and finding what's that perfect happy mm. balance. And what I've learned to do is I've got to be more casual about things because I have this slight perfectionist streak. You know, if I'm doing a dinner, I want to do this gorgeous dinner and make it a three meals and, you know, cook everything. And, you know, we had friends over the other day and we just ordered takeaway and it was awesome. And so it's giving up to go spending time with people is more important than is everything in the house totally perfect and is everything aligned the way I would normally Mm. want it because my friends love me for who I am and want to see me. Mm. They don't care whether I'm actually serving them a three-course meal Mm. that I've actually home-cooked or whether actually we've just rung the local Indian restaurant. Have you found as your um, level of work has changed, as as your working day has changed, have you found that your friendship base has also changed? And uh, I'm curious as to whether... That, that has been conscious and unconscious, that change in friendship base over the years? Well, I did buy this amazing book last year called It's Who You Know. Oh, I wonder <laughs> who wrote that. <laughs> and, well, no, and I'm not actually saying this just to be nice to you because I really, I, when I read it and looked at the network, and I've always considered myself having a good network, and I do, I'm well connected, but I realised I was missing people in my network and I sat back and went, wow, there are people who I don't have. And I think the hardest thing for me, having been corporate into running a business, is that in a corporate, I had all these friends who are also corporate, and then you go and run a business, and they don't get it. They don't get what you're doing. And they try, but there's still sometimes a bit of a disconnect. And um, I'll, I, you know, there are times when I found the transition quite lonely. And so it was then finding... Who else is in this space? Where's the connections? And then that for me was where LBD came in because with a group of women, yes, corporate and non-corporate and business owners and a whole raft of different backgrounds, but they get the drive, the ambition, the love of learning, the love of just growing as an individual um, and talking about all sorts of interesting topics. So yes, my friendships have changed and it doesn't mean I'm not friends with people that I was friends with before, but the dynamic has changed. And for me, I'm, you know, there's still probably gaps in my network where I'm going, there's still some spaces to be filled that I know that I need to help me be the best that I can be as well. Because just as I work with people and help them grow, I know that I need to keep growing as well. Mm. So, so who is Michelle when she's not doing her job? Uh, who's Michelle? I love it when I don't have to get up, do my hair and put on makeup, <laughs> put on makeup that's for sure. You know, I often think it's, sim- it's the simple things in life. You know, Craig and I, we could never have children and so we are blessed in terms of the amount of travel that we can do and all of that kind of stuff and that was our whole, you know, focus. I remember we couldn't have children. I actually said let's write down a list of all the things we can do because we don't have kids and number one was we can travel whenever we want. But often we'll just be sitting down doing absolutely nothing, dagging around, and we're just having fun together. We both love reading. We love, we, you know, I'm not really into reality TV, but, you know, all those TV series that you can watch. We've just finished watching The, the Sinner on Netflix. And so all of that kind of stuff. And for me, gardening. I love gardening. I love watching things grow. I love learning because I love finding out new things. And I do love cooking. So for me, I'm, I actually think at home I'm a really simple person and, you know, if you saw me in the streets kind of walking around in um, kind of, you know, daggy tracks, you'd probably think, oh, she just she looks nothing like that photograph. <laughs> it's incredible how uh, 
empowering some of the simple things are in life? Well, I think I often say to Craig, people overcomplicate their lives mm. and having a happy life doesn't mean it needs to be complex and it doesn't mean you need to have oodles and oodles of money. And the research will show that. We all need a basic level of income to be happy because we need to, you know, food and clothes and housing. But often people get caught up with stuff that they don't need. And people often look at me, I drive a very simple car and all that stuff. People often look at me and think, oh, wow, I would expect that you would drive a flashy car and you'd have this massive house. I go, yeah, but I don't need it. We're really happy just living our very simple life and I don't want a complicated life, but I want freedom. And because I've got financial freedom, it means I've got a whole heap of choice and I don't feel trapped with the decisions that I'm making. And it also means that we can be generous in other ways with people around us and family and friends and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm really, I look back and, you know, one of my mantras is this whole thing around no regrets. And I'm happy with the choices that I've made in life because I look back and go, yeah, stuffed up occasionally, but yeah, I learned from it. And I often say to people, the best decision I ever made is who I married. Now, I didn't get married until I was 34. And so I had many, many, many years as a, as a, as a single female. But I married someone who understands me. And I said this at the wedding, I wanted to marry someone who makes me a better person. And Craig makes me, helps me be a better person because he challenges me. But he also supports me. He knows who I who I am and who I need to be and encourages that and nurtures that and supports me unconditionally. And I also say, you know, he's totally biased because he reckons I'm the most beautiful person in the world. Oh, well, as you are. That's awesome. <laughs> I said, you're delusional, but that's awesome. So having that support base around me just makes all the decisions that you make as a business owner so much easier. Mm, and it also reiterates the importance of having somebody in your corner that gets everything about you, your goals, your dreams, yeah. your highs, your lows, your strengths, your not so great stuff. Absolutely. And loves you unconditionally, but also loves your dreams unconditionally yes, too. exactly. And it may not be a husband or a partner. It could be a really close mm, friend mm. or a family member. But if you don't have that, mm. it's really hard because you also do occasionally need someone who will pull you up and just go, really? You really think that's a good idea? And then when you're having a really, really, really bad day, they'll just make you laugh. And then it doesn't seem quite so bad anymore. <laughs> so this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. What advice would you give our listeners in terms of those people that may be going, yeah, yeah, Michelle's worked it all out. How do people in your mind discover what it is that they are awesome at, their superpower, and then how do they go out into the world and be that person? Learning and experimentation. And also that learning is being willing to, willing to look internally. So I've done a lot of work on myself and that's not with a therapist or anything like that, but I've done lots of courses. Um, I've spent lots of time reflecting. I read a lot. I'm naturally curious. I listen to things that people say about me that I find uncomfortable and wonder why they say that or why they think that and then work out what I need to do with it. Um, and it does take time. And so it's this constant process of evolution. So I look at where I am now and I go, hmm, I don't exactly know where I'm going to be in 10 years' time. And that's, that's okay. I'm sure I'll continue to evolve and I'll continue to grow. But it's being open to that growth and being open to that learning and accepting that as a human, I will make mistakes. I am fallible. Um, and 
once again, that's okay because that's the whole kind of joy of being human, but it's an adventure. So suck the marrow out of life and have fun with it and just see where it will land, but put the work in. You know, I have no doubt, you know, I used to say back in my corporate days, oh, you know, I've been successful, but I'm a bit lucky, right place, right time. And I look back and I realise I was doing myself a disservice because it wasn't luck. It was hard work and there were a lot of deliberate decisions. But I find now running the business, I know it's not luck. What's happened is because I've worked hard and I've surrounded myself with good people and I've made good decisions and I've made very, very deliberate decisions, but I've continued to learn. So every year I set aside a certain amount of money and that's my learning budget. And I always say to people, don't rely on your organisation to train you and develop you. It's actually not their responsibility. It's great that many organisations do it, but you need to do it for yourself. Work out what it is you think you need to learn and where you need to spend money that's going to help you grow in your career and then watch that evolve. I mean, I what I find amazing is people who sit back and complain about, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? If you're going to complain about it, do something about it. Mm-hmm. So what's on the learning agenda for you this year? My learning agenda this year. So I do need to become a little bit more technically savvy. Um, I married a technologist, so I'm a bit lazy sometimes. I just, oh, Craig can sort all that. But there, there are things that I need to get more comfortable with in terms of, you know, videos and all of that kind of stuff because I do a lot of social media and I know I need to get on to um, do more videos. And then there are some additional tools that I need to learn which are diagnostic-based tools that I want to be able to use with my clients. So I got trained on one particular tool at the end of last year and I'm just starting to use it. And so it's one of those things that even though I've been trained in it, I'm not at the level of proficiency that I know I need to be to be able to use it really well. Mm. So there's a constant evolution with that. And then there's a whole heap of reading. So I collect books and I've bought these last year, massive, almost like encyclopedias around the brain and neuroscience, because there's a lot of areas around that that I'm really good at, but there's some areas where I go, yeah, I actually just want to know a little bit more. So there's some self-learning that I need to do as well. Michelle, it's been an absolute absolute joy to sit here and share a cup of tea and a chat. Um, it does not surprise me at all that you are achieving the success that you're achieving. Um, your work is inspiring so many people to step up and to take the lead for themselves and to be the leaders that they want to be. And more importantly, your passion for those individuals to actually almost get back in tune with who they are so they can leave their mark on the planet is just simply awesome. Um, So for me, some of the key things that I will pull out of our interview is very much um, the simple things and how important the simple things are. I think we can forget about that in our busy day-to-day lives and particularly when we're living in such a world of of comparison with social media it's important to just get back to the basics um the only ownership piece of setting boundaries um, and learning to say no um and one of the key things that is just so clear um for me in terms of how you've managed to find your superpower your brilliance is this absolute commitment desire to keep learning to keep growing and for that reason I can't see can't wait to see what you're going to achieve and deliver uh, for all of us to to learn from over the course of the next couple of years it's been an absolute joy to spend this time with you Michelle thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you soon my pleasure 
We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results. Thank you.